0: as we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast for the first time, the 2019 ITA National Head Coach and SEC Coach of the Year. Of course, you may also know him as the head coach of the South Carolina Women's Tennis Program. Welcome to the show, head coach Kevin Epley. Coach, welcome. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well. Happy to be here. Happy to be chatting with you.
0: Oh, it is my pleasure to have you. And look, there's a lot of things I want to touch on, but it was a busy fall for you all down at South Carolina. And in particular, the place we have to start is with freshman Sarah Hamner. Now she's a blue chip recruit. Uh, You know, she was always going to probably do special things in college tennis, but to have her have the fall that she did, I believe 17 and two overall in singles, that's Mm -hmm. just nuts. And we were privileged enough to be able to be on the broadcast for the national fall championships took two seconds of watching her and just because uh, she dropped that first, uh, second set or maybe it was the first set in her first round match against Tennessee and you could right. just tell there was this attitude of oh no, no 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 I'm winning this match just like give me another hour and yeah. I think you could tell when you when you see it and I'm curious for you did you anticipate that level of success and just what has clicked so quickly for Sarah this fall
1: Well, as you know, I mean, recruiting is happening earlier and earlier, and um, I I saw her at the, she was 16 years old, and she was at the clay courts in Charleston, and I had spoken to her on the phone a few times, and her personality was fantastic in that regard, but when I saw her competing, and the way she competed, and her absolute passion for the game, uh, we were after her immediately. And she was our favorite person there, and at that time she wasn't uh, she wasn't ranked nearly as high as she was later. So we got in early with her um, and it just so happened that when she came on her visits, I-, I think we were her last visit, and she really wasn't even planning on coming until the last minute and uh, she did come and she decided this was was the place for her and all this happened early i mean this is a couple of years ago so We've been able to watch her grow. Uh, as you know, I've heard you mention it before. Um, she was working with Michael Joyce for about a year. She had uh, her technical foundation as a guy named uh, Dr. Brian Gordon, um, who was with Macy uh, back in the day. And um, she had this, she just had a, a very good foundation. Technically, Michael Joyce helped her a bit with strategy. Then she had that competitive spirit and that trifecta. So. Um, I didn't expect her to do as well as she did, but I expected her to be top 10 in college tennis within a year or two for Mm -hmm. sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, beyond just the ground strokes, which pop out to you immediately it is again for a freshman to have that competitive attitude that quickly it's very clearly special and i'm curious for you and i warned you beforehand if you're going to swear at me i think it's going to be after this question 12 and 12 in 2021 500 record a lot of coaches would be like you know what it that's fine it's one year for you it's the worst coaching season of your head coaching career So to have that sort of season where you guys still make the NCAA tournament and, you know, again, you guys were competitive all year long. A lot of close matches that, unfortunately, for one reason or another, didn't break your way. To have that sort of boost in the fall, to say Sarah's a national champion, you know, she's the ITA All-American champion, comes through qualifying to do it. What does that do not only for Sarah but for the rest of the team as you look towards 2022?
1: Well... Um, th- that first part of your question, yeah, we had a very, very slow start. I think we ended up going 0-5 in the SEC at one point, which was crazy considering we had been undefeated on the road for two or three years or, at that point. Um, but then I think we won, you know, what was it, six in a row, seven in a row after that. We got going, um, but it didn't end well at the NCAA tournament. But we felt like our old squad was back. Our teams have always started slow, but never that slow. <laughs> um so her coming in and giving a a boost of energy um you know we've had a few personnel changes uh she fits right into our culture and that was one of the reasons i liked her she's a natural fit for our program just the way her personality is um so it was really easy to kind of <clears throat> get her sort of coalesced within the program and and, you know, her energy matching our energy or what we're shooting to do, her humility. She's, uh, well, she seems like a, a pit bull on the court and she can come across tough off the court. She's, a, she's a, just a sweetheart, just a great, great kid who's always looking to help others. So um, her, her humility, her selflessness, her toughness and everything are all things that, uh, that we're big on. So she uh, really helped, you know, sort of boost that spirit amongst our team and uh bought in right away she knew what she was getting into Mm -hmm. um you know so it's been great it's been great and um you know we're happy that she's done well i mean i was originally thinking she would play two or three but it looks like she's she's potentially gonna be playing higher which is gonna put other people down and get us a little some of our stronger positions that we thought were gonna be you know at the top a little bit lower so uh, um we are uh we're pretty jazzed for for the spring
0: how nice has it just been to have a full fall once again to be able to work with the players as you normally are
1: no that's huge i mean that was a big problem for us last year you know we didn't have an indoor center it was raining a lot you know we we had the covid situation um and i think our team was a little demoralized uh, like a lot of teams you know and um uh, it just got, it just was hard to, to, to get going. So to have a full season, although, I mean, it, it seemed like you, you know, even though I didn't go to the fall championships, I was with her in Charleston all the way through Qualies. It, it seems like I've spent most of the fall with Sarah, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been great to get back to uh, you know, the status quo of college tennis and, and really sort of, get back to what we're used to in the programming that we're we're used to building around.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, looking at some of the decisions you made last year, 11 different doubles teams throughout the course of the season, and having the chance to speak with so many coaches, you know, usually it's in that 7 to 10 range. 11 is on the higher side, and I know injuries often play a role in getting doubles teams out there, and just given how many of your teams had one or two matches total, I think that speaks to that fact, but were you searching last year? Was it the lack of continuity in the fall? What leads to that many pairings, and how much emphasis have you put on that point here this fall?
1: Yeah, a lot of that is searching. We, we have a double system, and everybody, mm-hmm. everybody teaches doubles a different way. I, we have a uniform system that everybody sort of understands what Gamecock Doubles is, so they kind of fit into our programming. So it's interchangeable that way because everybody's trying to do basically the same thing. Um, with some moderations depend, depending on the you know what one player does with her serve uh, or how strong our serve is or how strong the returns are. but I feel like our teams are all very interchangeable obviously you have chemistry issues too so um yeah we were we were searching for anything that worked I mean going you know it was sort of surreal uh you know going over five in the SEC to kick it off and um, i mean I think we did up fourth in the SEC so it didn't it didn't turn out that bad, um, but I think we got it. We kind of got it figured out at the end. There exactly, um, exactly what we wanted. You know, we're always pointed to uh, championship season in May. We want to put our best group out there. So along the way, we're just trying to figure out what's gonna what's gonna be the best.
0: Mm-hmm. And you look at again the performance of your team last season, and you know match calculus is something we like to talk about here at Crack Rackets and as prognosticators, where are we going to find the wins across the board? What was so interesting about your team is how many different places you guys found victories, and you know you look across the board in singles: nine and eight at one, twelve and six at two, you know nine and eleven at three, eleven and eleven at four, seven and thirteen and five, six and nine at six. It was different players every match, and yet somehow, despite, you know, other than the two singles position, no real significant over 500 success, you guys were able to scrap your way to four points in a bunch of different matches. What did you learn about your team? How frustrating was that from your perspective? Just again, I suppose, you know, it's always nice when you know, okay, we'll take dubs, we'll take three, we'll take five, we've got to find one more. How much stress does that put on you, that coaching staff, all the, I suppose, unpredictability?
1: Um, I, you know, I think it was more just sort of the global things like, good gosh. Sure. I mean, we had match point to beat LSU early in the season. We were up on AM. I mean, it was like, when are we going to get this, this win? Because we know we have the capacity to do it. Um, and I know we're competitive at nearly all of our spots. I think at six, we were a little bit weaker, um, but we knew we could, we could push the boundaries one through three. Um, we had a couple girls that really weren't feeling it early in the season. And, you know, you have that and your doubles isn't clicking or whatever. You have that, you lose four or three matches. Next thing you know, uh, it snowballs, but, um, we knew we were competitive, uh, at every position, um, and that we could, we could win against anybody. Um, like I said, we're normally a slow starting team. I have yet to figure out why, but generally by the time we get to the SEC season, we're kicking and just took us a little bit into the, um secs in this year to really to really you know, sink our teeth into uh you know the wins and uh yeah they came from from different spots on the team and um you know we uh were, we were happy about that that you know and we have a lot of new kids you know that's mm-hmm. that's the other thing i mean it's just you, you lose your seniors who won that sec championship i mean we lost our one we lost our our two and we lost the you know the, the girl at six who helped us win against Georgia and, you know, they'd been through the ringer and, you know, you have people filling in those shoes. So just trying to find a way to be competitive of every spot. And eventually we got it together.
0: Yeah. You talk about that. You went eight of your last 10 in sec play, I believe a run to the conference semifinal in the tournament what was the turning point was it simply just as much as okay we've now beaten arkansas 4 we've beaten missouri 4-1 that home weekend we've actually experienced some success back to back is it as simple as just hey winning be, you know breeds winning
1: i don't think so i think we sure. knew we were better than what we were performing like i said i mean we had chances i mean real close i mean mm-hmm. With A&M, LSU, we had a match point to win the whole the whole thing. That would have changed. uh, That would have changed the season. It was just sort of like the the matches weren't falling our way, and Mm -hmm. we had to stay positive. At some point, you just kind of like throw your hands up. I mean, I I could yell at them every day, but at some point, you just kind of say, "Well, I mean, something's going to fall our way." And um, our expectations. We just started looking at matches at one at a time. We got the Arkansas win. We got Missouri. You know, and then the real turning point, I think was the Mississippi weekend. We played Mississippi State uh, indoors, which was tough. We got that win and then went to play Ole Miss, which was a very good team. And we were back on all cylinders again. So, um, you know, right there, there's four matches in a row. So, uh, you know, it just, it just turned around and just things were slipping away from us. It wasn't really anything I could put my finger on particularly. Um, and, you know, eventually it was kind of like a, a bad string of luck at the blackjack table. I mean, eventually you start getting your 21s, you know. You're like, okay, well, thank God. I mean, this dealer has been hot. Jeez. You know, so, um, I mean, that's what it felt like, you mm-hmm. know. But we didn't get really get too demoralized, to be honest. I mean, it was we were doing the right things. We just had to trust that the the, the wins were going to come. And it was funny because at that time people were saying, oh, don't worry, it's a COVID year. And I was sort of like, well, it doesn't seem to be affecting anybody else. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just does, yeah. yeah. No, totally fair. And again, there were some highlights though. And you know, Cruz and Gurkowski, they go twelve and zero at the number three doubles mm-hmm. position. Win their last seven. And I noticed they did not play together this fall. Right. That I- I'm curious: a, what leads to that decision? But b, them clicking as a duo—it clearly it worked. You know, what what clicked so well?
1: Well, uh, Anna. Cruz is good at net I mean she's she she closes tight and then uh Allie has has good hands and a good serve um and they were playing at three um so they were able to implement our scheme I guess and effectively um they were able to go deep in points when they were in one up one back scenarios and make the coaches and that kind of thing just good uh, at, at basic doubles we know we can always fall back on them so in the fall we're kind of trying trying different things um Allie is a very good doubles player um, sure. maybe even our best so we want to see if we could get something out of her up up higher she's been injured um mm-hmm. so that's another piece of the puzzle whether she's playing or not so um, again you know we're just our scheme is our double scheme is interchangeable we can move people around and and we're just trying to see who looks the best uh, as far as combinations go in the fall. We'll start making those decisions. I think we've got to figure it figured out at least how we want to start the season at this point.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm curious as you make those decisions because the fall is obviously very individual-centric. And you talked to a bunch of SEC men's coaches from last fall. The big takeaway they had was we played these hidden duels, and they were fantastic. And it allowed yeah. us to see our team, and it allowed us to compete in a mock-duel match format – And it brings up a broader question of, well, what is the role of the fall? Is the role of the fall to best prepare for the team season? If it is, hidden duels make a lot of sense. Or is the role of the fall the individual side? And, you know, again, give the player who's playing six, seven singles the opportunity to match up against the Sarah Hamners of the world. And, you know, for your guys' region, all the Carolina players that you're able to match up against uh, throughout the course of a fall I'm curious where you sit in that argument. What do you view as the role of the fall? Do you prefer, you know, the individuals or have you gotten a taste of the hidden duels and you enjoy them?
1: Well, I love the hidden duels. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, for a variety of reasons, I love, I love team competition a lot. That's what we do. That's what we're preparing for. Uh, when we're, at, we don't have to, you know, sit around at a tournament all day, you know, until nine o'clock at night, watching mm-hmm. match after match and the consi matches and so on. Um, but if, if let's hypothetically say, the individual uh, NCAA championship or we have an individual championship at the end of the fall that would count as the NCAA championship for individuals. You beat me to the, the question
0: be, for what it's worth. What's that? You beat me to the question for what yeah, it's yeah, worth.
1: Yeah. So that's, you know, because I do look at the fall as a development. And in dual format, sometimes these surprise wins that you get, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, amisa malkin for example who kind of moved through regionals in an interesting way maybe would never have had that opportunity if she was playing six on in a hidden mm-hmm. duel match so I, I really like the idea of two separate season the individual season with the fall championship at the end um if we could swing it i think it would be better for college tennis we'd have uh you know particularly if the winner got a bid into the u.s open then i would think that we would have the opportunity to get a lot of these kids that are playing pro tournaments outside of uh, college competition or take the fall off or, or whatever uh, we would we would entice them to come back in to and play the event so that they could get themselves fired up for that that championship at the end that has the has the big prize I, I think that would be really exciting um, the the fall championships to me personal opinion and the, uh, is a little bit redundant uh, sure. for the all, the all-american in some ways um so i just would love the idea of having to be able to point our arrow in november and say look that's the NCA championship that's that's where we're headed for this is how we're going to develop your your game until then everybody's going to have a shot in these individual events
0: Mm-hmm. My only thing would be I'd love to find a way to get the NCAA tournament in that second week of the U.S. Open. It's just what a showcase, what a platform that would be for college tennis. The problem is it's a little rushed, and how do you figure out who qualifies? My thing is always, well, if they play the spring before, they should be eligible for that NCAA tournament. It's just held that second week of the U.S. Open. But then you're asking athletic departments, hey, are you going to pay for this kid to come back for pay- to play one more week? And it's like, no. And so you're like, right. oh, OK. So that gets a little bit more difficult. But, uh, you know, it was fascinating. He was the first person to say this. Your partner in crime, Josh Goffey on the men's side, said uh, he, he views it, play the team in the fall and then use the spring for developmental and start worrying about all the individual tournaments and play the NCAA tournament at the end. That was interesting to me. I hadn't heard that argument before. I'm sure you've heard it many a times.
1: I've heard it. I've heard it from him. I, you know, I I think that has its merits um, as well. It's interesting because it sets you up for the summer as well for all those individual uh, events, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So the only, the only drawback really is sort of you're in team season right away when, when they get back to school and, and um, you know, and and that's going to run quick, but, and you wouldn't have that preparation time that we use. Um, however, you know, the other one of the the things we war with every year and now because of our restrictions keep getting more and more in terms of training with the kids this time of year. Um, they go home for break and, you know, you, you can entice them any way you want. But, you know, only a few of them are going to put in the work. Mm-hmm. Right. So they come back in January and it's kind of like, well obviously you haven't worked all you can you can barely strike the ball you know um so uh, you know if they came off the summer we would have that that sort of momentum so i definitely think there's some there's some arguments for that
0: Mm -hmm. it's you know it's it i think i'm asking a leading question here i think i know what the answer is going to be given the modern demands of the sport and given college tennis wants to be a pathway to the pros is 25 competitive dates the eight hour rule is that enough practice time or is it time to re-examine that number
1: I don't think so. I, I think the uh, I, I think the fall is it, it has become too compressed. I mean, we have a reading week. We can't do anything. I mean, basically, the week before Thanksgiving, we're essentially done. Um, and to be honest, you know, the, as far as I know, that emerged emerged from the, you know the, the, the student the concept of student athlete welfare and got to make sure that we're not pushing them too mm-hmm. hard. The problem is is that the reality is these kids thrive in structure. And there's a lot of time back at school now that they're they're on their own. So while we're, we're actually thinking that we're we're benefiting them, a lot of them start to fall apart a little bit emotionally and mentally. They don't know what to do. Uh, you know, I, I, what should I train? I don't, I don't know how, who's going to be out there with me. You know, it's just kind of a, a weird, a weird time that, I think in theory it sounds good when you're talking about. Well, I'd love to have free time to study for our exams, um, but I think something should be amended in, in 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 a way that we can get out there and, and work with them uh, a little bit more, particularly this time of year.
0: I just think it's ridiculous that there are legitimate circumstances where co- uh, players will say, "Hey, can you coach me today?" and you have to say, "No, I, I can't." Like that—that yeah. that should never be a case.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. It's mm. brutal. They, and you know, and some of them, some of them are dying to to be out there. I mean, someone would love to have an individual with us today, you know, not all of them, but, but Mm -hmm. a lot of them want to be out there. They want the instruction and they've got the time.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And, you know, again, with all of that said, someone who's clearly thrived in the structure and had, you know, a fantastic season last year is Megan Davies. And I'm curious for her. She goes, you know, I think it was 10 and 6 at the number two singles position and, you know, is having success 10 and 8 at number one doubles as well. Was able to take some, you know, take some lumps and have success at the top of the lineup. And, you know, to be able to bring in an Ayana, to be able to bring in a Sarah now at the top of the lineup as well to go along with her you know what what was the development from megan last season and again how are you feeling about that top of the lineup here as you look towards 2022
1: i think the top of our lineup is uh is very strong um we we've got to figure out where we're going to put put megan but she's obviously very um very experienced and she's a very very good team player she you know a couple years ago she made the the semifinals of fall nationals but um Mm -hmm. she uh but she's really the bulk of her success comes in team competition she really goes the distance i think a lot of times particularly in our conference by the time you get to sec season certainly midway through sec season a lot of these teams tend to get a little tired emotionally mentally just the the weekend week out grind and she doesn't really fatigue um on the court and she goes the distance so you see these kids sort of unwind in front of her um you know about two hours into a match you know they just start falling apart they start going for shots they shouldn't go for Um, she's just a really good team player uh she's definitely better in dual matches overall so um you got her in there you've got ayana in there who's proven herself uh at maryland she had a, a pretty good fall um, and then you have Sarah, obviously. So we, we feel like we can take out anybody at the one, two, three spots. Our doubles is always pretty good. So figure we can get um, some doubles points. And we're really trying to figure out our, our four, four through six. So um, and we got to be able to get some wins there as well. You can't put all that pressure
0: on our top three. Well, you talk about that 24 and 33 last year in those three positions. How? What is the emphasis to get, you know, again, we know what the talent looks like at the top. How has the emphasis been to get the depth, to get some of the other contributors, you know, whether it be an Anna or an Allie or just, you know, Misa and Elise, all of these different players. You've got a bunch of options, and obviously, you brought in one of the top recruiting classes in the nation uh, last season. You know, what do you do to get all of those players up to c- speed so you can lessen and that burden up top
1: I mean, a lot of it has to do with them i mean mm-hmm, their sure. individual decisions i mean we've got 11 kids it's kind of like hey look we're looking for people to to win so show yourself show what you can do and um Elise really took that to heart i think this semester she's um she's starting to play at a pretty high level she's got a couple ranked wins um uh this semester towards the end and uh you know she's really picked up her game so she kind of rose to the challenge there we think Misa is looking pretty good we found out Allie has a, a torn ligament and she's had it since November of 2019 in her knee so that's obviously been hindering her somewhat was a factor all last year but she's not one to complain um, but we figured that out this year so she's got her she's getting her knee taken care of um so we definitely know that she can play her best tennis is ahead of her if we can get this knee situation straightened out. Um, and then, you know, we've got some, some other kids that we're a little uncertain about, and uh, they may get their opportunities. But, but really, it's just one of those situations where it's just, look, we're, we're training you. Um, you guys got to make the right choices. Um, you've got to be coachable. You've got to be willing to work. You've got to fit in culturally to put yourself in the best position you can. To get an opportunity four through six we talked about it with um we talk about it uh at the beginning of the season we know we have a hidden goal here at the beginning of the season uh they'll get some opportunities if someone can hit the ground running they're going to get the they're going to get the nod if they start winning there they could be in the lineup for the for the whole year so it could be a tight window for some of them
0: yeah no it, again and it, it we know right now and i'm curious your thoughts on this the depth in college tennis and obviously we've got five classes of high school graduates right now so there's just inherently more depth but you know date back to 2019 you guys go what 23 and 4 and pretty much run the table during the regular season obviously that team was very very good and that's not that far removed but you know does it take more now to compete at the top of college tennis is the depth better than it's ever been in your opinion
1: uh, I think at the very top, it's it's better. Um, you know, obviously, you look at teams like North Carolina. I mean, they're just stacked from top to bottom. Um, but you can have eleven great players and six still only play. So, um, you know, it's. I think it's probably slightly better at the at the very very top. Uh, I think the elements that that make us that will make us good are essentially the same. Um, uh, I think that, you know. There are there are some intangibles within a team if your culture is right that that can really help you that certainly helped us um, a few years ago you know just how how our girls compete um, and go the distance and sort of do it for each other um but yeah i mean it's 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 never gotten easier um but then again i mean you look back I look back at the beginning of my career um, when I was at Fresno State in 1999, 2000, and look at teams like Stanford. I mean, I would put that Stanford team to win it all today, to be honest. Sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean by the way I feel like every good coach coached around at Fresno State, which is why I was so disappointed yeah. to see them cut out the men's tennis program, but Dancer yeah. was there, Peter Smith was there. Mm. Who uh, everyone was there, right? So like who's Liberty who? Yeah, was there. No yeah. Weeks back.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of good ones. Mm-hmm. And so,
0: yeah, I was going to say, that's the story. We'll, we'll have to get back to that time. But, no, again, so when you look at your team this season, and it's a brutal kickoff weekend for you guys. I believe you're headed down to Texas A&M, and Texas Tech is there. Princeton is there. Those are all very, very good teams. Uh, I'm curious, and I, I think I don't think the rest of the schedule has come out quite yet for you guys. Uh, what's the schedule look like for you all? Where are you headed this season?
1: Oh, gosh, we've got a, we've got a trip to Oklahoma uh we we this is probably the hardest schedule i've ever had uh to be honest i mean we've got a trip uh, we, like i said we're going to oklahoma we've got uh, we've got that kickoff our hidden duel is georgia tech auburn and wake then we're going to wake and uh nc state you know so obviously nc state is is tough um and then we've got clemson and then we've got our whole uh, sec season so I mean, we basically play in ranked team every weekend, um, you know, all the way through. So uh, we'll, we'll certainly find out what we're made of <laughs> throughout this season. Yeah, you know, we end with Florida, and that's always a battle um, uh, in that regular season with Florida. You know, in the Auburn Florida weekend there at the very end. And, You know, Florida's is is looking strong. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, going to be going to be uh, a long hard stretch, but we're excited for it.
0: I feel like it could be a big bounce-back year for SEC teams. Last year, I feel like was a bit of a down year, You know, whether it was you guys or Florida, Vanderbilt, just not quite being at the level you guys have all been at these past couple of seasons. Obviously, Georgia's Georgia. They're always going to be there at mm-hmm. the top. But wh- what are your th- thoughts on competing in the SEC conference? Obviously, Texas, Oklahoma looming on the horizon as well. Uh, so good to get that Oklahoma rep in now. But uh, your thoughts on where the SEC is entering 2022?
1: Well, you know, a lot of these teams, I think if you look at sort of the UTR, from a UTR perspective, um, it's a little bit lower, uh, to be honest. um, You know, you got, if you just go through the power power sixes, I mean, um, you know, you have the Tennessees in the 20s, LSU in the 20s, Arkansas in the 40s, Vanderbilt in the 20s, Kentucky in the 60s, Alabama in the 40s, whatever that means. I mean, because, you know, a few years ago, we had five, the top ten teams in the SEC. Now we have, we still have some good teams at the top. Obviously, um, Georgia's good. Texas A&M is kind of snuck in as being a, uh, has become a real, real contender here over the last few years. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I think you know a couple teams have faltered over the last few years. Vanderbilt being one. Maybe Florida is not quite as strong. Certainly not as strong when I first came to the league. Um, but, you know, some teams are, are, are stepping up in, in their place. But part, a lot of this just has to do with, I think, the strength the ACC has gotten to be ridiculous um, relative to us. Um, I mean, they've just – they've gained uh, a lot, and we've probably lost a little bit. So um, – but you've got, you've got such powerhouses in there now from, from Duke, UVA, UNC. We were just talking about them. Georgia Tech is good uh it's it, they're just getting to be super strong so um you know i think we're i think we're still an extremely strong conference and uh i think he could be right that uh we will we will go hopefully a little bit further in the uh, in a tournament this year we were talking about that on one of our sec calls <laughs> recently we've been playing a lot of clinch clinch and they correlated the clinch clinch not finishing matches kids not developing the skills to win matches down the stretch at the NCAA tournament. Um, whether you agree with that or not is up for your own individual decision, sure. but we are going to play clinch play this year and hopefully that will help us as well.
0: Yeah. I love that decision. Totally yeah. in favor of that. And, You know, again, it is interesting. You talk about the strength of other conferences, and certainly that has played a factor. Um, When you look at this SEC conference and, again, your team more broadly nationally, uh, obviously it's a little bit easier for you guys to get a bunch of good matches throughout the course of the year because even the matchups against Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn's of the world, those are top 50 programs your know, last season, you guys go 12 and 12, you didn't have to worry about the 500 rule, and you guys were able to get into the tournament no matter what, because they waived that rule. I'm curious if you would like to see that rule waived moving forward to encourage things. you know obviously this helps the Power Five Conference in, partic- in particular, but you can go play ACC schools, you can go play Oklahoma, go play whomever, and not worry about the burden of finishing 500.
1: Yeah, I've never been a fan of the 500 rule, to be sure. honest, uh, for the reasons you you just mentioned.
0: Even from the Fresno State perspective, because obviously, if you're a non-power five school, I mean, there's something too. Am I just going to get boxed out by Arkansas because they play in the SEC and I don't?
1: Not well in that particular case. And when I was at William and Mary, um, you know, obviously, I think some schools. You're you're, you're absolutely right. But the Fresno State, I mean, we basically paid a Pac- Pac-12 schedule. Sure played USC. We played UCLA. We played Stanford. I mean, we have, we had our, we had our opportunities just from that proximity and being, you know, that we would go play them. We would, we would have a hard time. Cal would come play us occasionally. Sure. We were like a three to one ratio with them, but, yeah. but you would never get Stanford to become the Fresno. gone. Yeah. The, the <laughs> um, but then, same with William and Mary. I mean, we were, we, uh, you know, we had that opportunity. We played UNC, we played, um, all the you know, all the top NC State we played at Duke, uh, we we did have that opportunity to to reach out and, um, and get those schools. Obviously, it is it does benefit the, the bigger the the bigger conferences more. Um, um, but you know, that's that's certainly coming from the perspective of somebody that resides within a bigger conference. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. <clears throat> No, completely fair. And, you know, again, with those sorts of things in mind, I do want to talk about some big picture items in college tennis, and we've hit some of them already. But I'm curious from a recruiting standpoint, and, you know, this year you probably massaged it perfectly, bringing in, you know, again, a top 12 class in the nation, players like Sarah and Misa and Chloe, and also getting someone like Ayana as well. How does, and obviously right now it's more pronounced than ever before, but how does the plethora of players and the destigmatization of transferring, and you know the transfer portal. How does that factor into your recruiting? How do you balance the availability? I can go find a five singles player. I can go find a six singles player for a year, versus obviously the long-term development that has borne so much fruit for your South Carolina program.
1: Well, that's well. You also have it's it's a revolving door, right? Sure. So- Players can leave easily too, so it's it's you know you can get them easily. They can leave easily, so I mean it it it, it, it has pros and cons in terms of you know within it within a team, um, obviously. But you know you, you really you don't you have players that you build relationships with, and and they feel like well we can just jump ship no problem, and you know that that creates a problem, and perhaps delves a little bit into the idea that one of the, my big problems with junior coaches, for instance, is you're just trying to keep the kids happy because you're trying to keep, you know, these, these, the check coming in to pay for, you know, the junior lesson. If, you know, in Atlanta, for example, you have 200 academies or something ridiculous and you come, you get hard on a kid because you're trying to train them to be a champion. And, and they, 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 playing you know they'll go to the next academy it's, sure. it's very hard to sort of it's one of the problems we have with junior kids coming in there's a lot of them just have not been trained the right way because mm-hmm. they've been kept happy their whole life so i think sure. you know th- there's more incentive for that and we already have structural incentives along in that direction anyway with student athlete welfare as i mentioned earlier so a lot of the incentive structure within a, a college coach has got is it, moved more towards this sort of expediency of, hey, let's uh, let's make sure we, you know, everybody's feeling good, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and and trying to plug the holes and that kind of thing and sort of implementing a, a long term program and philosophy that is very difficult to to get these kids to understand, so you know, in our program, you know, over the years it, it it takes two years um, mm-hmm. to get in to get on board. I mean, it's because it is very very difficult, and we feel like we retrain the kids as they come out of out of juniors. Now, Sarah was sort of a gamecock coming in already, mm-hmm. I mean, but typically it will take a kid two years to get to that level of competitive spirit, and you, you do that by not massaging them you know uh, and keeping them keeping them thrilled every day you do that by pushing them harder and harder and harder and showing and expanding their capacities mentally physically and emotionally so um so we're going to run our program the way we run it regardless I'm old now <laughs> so you know I'm not you know a lot of these young coaches are dealing with a, a very quickly changing landscape and um I've sort of been doing this since I was 24 I'm almost 50 so I'm pretty confident in in how we do things and um and our philosophies and and that kind of thing and really not trying to prove anything to be honest just trying to get these kids better and and build the best team we can we can um but I'm not I'm not going to change what we do we'll just deal with the transport portal as as it comes it comes and as our players
0: come and go i love you know. it well with that in mind and i think i've heard part of it in that answer but i'm asking every coach this i want to hear the opportunity because i know for a lot of our listeners whether they be fans players parents they haven't gotten to hear your voices give me the pitch why should i come down to south carolina why should i become a game cock and come play for coach epley
1: Because you'll get better uh you know <laughs> that. um that team for example that that uh that beat Georgia in the finals of SECs. I think, you know, all their players were top 100 at ITF. We didn't have one in the top 100. I think our highest was, well, I can't even remember, but it was all those kids were developed into being very, very strong competitors. But it takes a a certain kind of kid to come here. Uh, We have sort of a work hard, play hard philosophy where girls get along really well. I mean, we have a very strong team chemistry, which is helpful. We've done that intentionally by recruiting a certain type of kid. Um, And that's, that cohesion is, is important. And that, that kind of sells itself when girls come on camp and they just sort of feel that, that, you know, how close the team is. They, they really fall in love with the place. If they're into tennis and they see practices and the, uh, and how much we put in to the individual development with our developmental plans and um, how detailed we are Mm -hmm. and how hard we work. Uh, that's going to appeal to a certain kind of kid. It's not going to appeal to everyone, um, but that kind of kid, they'll see that here and compare it to other places and and will certainly be on on uh, their radar up against anybody, I, I believe. Um, it's, it's really a matter of <clears throat> getting them on campus and, and see what we have to offer and selecting the right, the right type of kid.
0: Yeah, I love it. How does NIL, you think, impact recruiting and college tennis as a pathway to the pros moving forward?
1: uh that that remains to be seen i mean we're sort of experiencing that right now uh sarah's sort of building her profile right now i mean she's got a bubbly personality Mm -hmm. um she certainly was we have our fans start to see her none of our fans in south carolina have seen her yet Mm -hmm. uh but once they see her competing well you you see how she is just sort of draws you into watching her i mean Mm -hmm. everyone loves watching her um just because of that competitive spirit um and uh you know she's she's got some marketability obviously so uh we'll see i mean we'll see she's building out some profiles she's building an online profile right now um and we'll see how that impacts her and you know there, i think people are divided on that well it won't affect tennis players that much or it's really not going to affect that many people i tend to think that um, i tend to think that you know some of these kids are, are actually going to do do pretty well as they tap into the to the right people and if we can do that you know we can certainly use that as uh, bill you know those relationships are made um you know that can certainly be something that could people can recruit on i think there's some coaches are going to find a way to manage that a little bit better than others the you know the marketing type coaches you know um i have a few in mind i won't name them right now but i'm sure they're, they're diving into this full bore sure you know and, and you know, I, I tend to focus more on tennis, um, you know, but uh, I think I'm uh, definitely be aware of it because it could change the landscape of this profoundly. I'm not that naive.
0: Yeah, no. Well, you talk about focusing on the tennis. Let's have some fun now. If you could re-coach any match from your career, which one would you pick? You can go back. Again, it's almost 25 years now as a head coach. Certainly you've been a coach for about 25 of them oh, now.
1: Oh, for sure. Our, uh, our Duke match at NCAAs. That's the um, one, you
0: take that over Georgia, re-experiencing that 4-3 win. You oh, just I go can't
1: experience that again. It was televised <laughs> a bunch of times on the SEC network. Yeah. I still have never watched it. But I, <laughs> no, I have a heart attack if I go through that again. I have yet to watch that. I actually called a friend of ours who has it on a hard drive. I was thinking about it. Maybe I should watch it. You know, it's yeah. been a couple of years. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, we showed up at NCAAs in Orlando and Paige, who was just our absolute warrior mm-hmm. stepped on the ball on the first day of practice and ankle blew up like a softball and like, it, it, it's a freak accident. And we knew that was, we knew she wasn't going to be able to be hundred percent. So if I could, if I could relive that whole week. Uh, I made some, I made a, a bad coaching call in doubles that, I, you know, I would just, I would love to, to redo that whole thing. Uh, get that doubles point because I think that would have been a different match.
0: Yeah, no, I, I love it. And, yeah, I mean, looking at it, it's, I'm looking at the uh, the scoreline. I imagine it's, yeah, watching that Jokic-Martins match at the end. Mm-hmm. It's just like you're like, if I never have to live through that. Because my theory is it is so much harder, and obviously you were a former all-conference standout playing at SMU. It is so much harder to coach a match or watch a match like that than it is to play it. Like, it's amazing to me that there's still so much hair on your head.
1: Oh yeah, it's that that was brutal. I mean, you know the that the SEC final was was absolutely insane. And people, you know, I think whoever you you probably know whoever does the um, does the betting, you know, the odds. I mean, they had us at like four percent chance of winning, which is a really weird thing because we had beaten them at home at their home, uh, you know, the year before easily. We lost them in the round of. 16 of ncas came down to martin's Jokic uh-huh. uh the year before martin's at five all and the third <laughs> cramps so mm-hmm. we end up losing that and we didn't play them well at home that that same year but i mean our matchups with them had been absolutely brutal and we came on the win, we were one and two with them in the last in the three prior so i internally we knew we could have we we could win that match i mean there wasn't a doubt in our mind that we could win that match um So, but, you know, experiencing it and being on that final court in that moment and starting to realize how big this is going to be potentially. And then, uh, you know, just the the rowdiness of the girls to try and get Ingrid to snap out of it and realize she could do this. And then she hits that extra gear and then they actually do it. It's just what sports is all about, isn't it? Just those those select few moments that's just insane and it makes everything worth it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, some of the benchmarks you guys have hit, you reached the round of 16 in 2017. That was the first time the program had done it since 2009. And obviously, uh, you know, for you guys now, quarterfinals 2019, first time again since 2009, and I believe only the second time in program history. What does it say about where the program's at now? Obviously, you've got a new indoor facility. Very beautiful. Looking forward to seeing it myself. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, how are things at South Carolina? Obviously, great recruiting class, plenty of talent on the board. You have, what is this now, year number 14? I I came in
1: 2012.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so year number 10? Is this officially 10? 10, All right, a decade in. What are we uh, thinking? uh,
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we're in a great position. I think this team is unique. Um, you know, a friend of mine, when I was getting back, I got out of college tennis for five years and went and started a bakery out in Colorado. But, uh, and then traveled a little bit with some players on the tour. And oh, we'll get back.
0: back to the bakery. Believe me, yeah, I've got yeah, the yeah. questions ready.
1: <laughs> but uh, we, uh, when I got back to college tennis, uh, a friend of mine who actually encouraged me to get back in, uh, told me, hey, if you're going to get back in, just make sure you get good kids you only live once and you know, don't sell your soul for that great player if if they're not a good kid. And then I, I took that to heart. We we didn't bat a 1,000, but we've really worked that angle um, looking to, to have really strong kids, um, good foundation of character and work ethic and all of that. And I think this year is, is really the year where we can look all the way down the board and say man we have a really good group of girls and uh and uh you know with that competitive spirit mixed in there i i think the state of the program is in is in is in great shape so i'm, I'm really looking forward to this season it's it's probably the most excited i've been about a season in a long time um, that year that we won in 2019 my assistant jeff Nomolo and i and fall were just thinking we lost we lost we had lost bridget and hadley and some of our some of our leaders and we were just thinking man this is going to be a long year um and i don't feel that way this year um it's surprisingly we we were able to to bring it all together uh that year but uh i feel and i just think we can we can go down the stretch with this group of kids i mean all these seasons are have their ups and downs it's real tough but this group of kids is special
0: mm-hmm. yeah and You know, again, it's going to be so interesting to watch them compete. And I am curious, what does it say about, you know, your program, the men's program, that your school was willing to invest in a brand new facility? You don't see programs doing that across the country.
1: I think, you know, Josh and I are lucky. I mean, we get along really well. Um, You know, some of these teams, the men's and women's coaches are at each other's throats over, you know, who stole whose balls and (laughs) whatever, whatever, you know, the things, the issues are, the court time and stuff. Josh and I got along from my, my first day here um, and our programs have kind of grown together. We have, Our courts mm-hmm. are six and six and um, we've helped each other a lot along the way. Uh, we're always trading ideas, uh, particularly early on this first four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so our programs are actually pretty similar in a lot of ways. I mean, with, with some, some differences, um, but just because we're always communicating about our teams, um, they have over time sort of same kind of philosophy, uh, built in. And I think that's you know, we had a little bit of success. You know, Josh had a lot of success when I first came here mm-hmm. and they had a little bit of a rough patch. We started doing well. And now Josh's teams have been doing really well the last few years. Um, and we both sell our programs as developmental programs. The fact that we've been doing that, our administration has seen that over the years. And to be honest, that indoor center, um well COVID hit you know in, in full force in March mm-hmm. and they weren't supposed to break ground until the summer we knew we were going to take a big budget hit mm-hmm. in football and our athletic director Ray Tanner could have pulled the plug on it easily and he stood by it which was surprising to us because you know the board and all sorts of people internally here administratively were trying to take "Hey, look with let's get all that money back, you know, uh, and fill that hole. And he kind of stood by it and he said, Nope, I've committed to this project. I'm going to do it. So big credit to him and his faith in us. And, um, hopefully he feels that we're, we're that faithful right back. So we are really appreciative here. We have a super supportive environment and, uh, we're just lucky to have that, that kind of uh, administration and athletic department and, um, Josh and I are lucky that, that we get along so well.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to cut that and just clip it at the end of the recruiting pitch as well. And I'll just be like, that's another reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to, exactly. head to, yeah to head to South Carolina. But all right, let's get funky here down the home stretch before I let you go. Mm-hmm. I have some suggestions for college tennis, some of them more radical than others. Curious what you think. Let's just start with the coin toss. I think it's a missed opportunity. We're better than that. We can be more creative. So in lieu of that start of the match, one point. Drop and hit. Head coach versus head coach. Winner ah. decides serving arrangement on every court.
1: Oh my gosh. My old assistant SMU would never, never win. <laughs>
0: <laughs> It'd just be that'd who be can chip and charge that'd first, right? Who gets to the, the net? Fans. Yeah. That'd um, be fun for the fans. Um, yeah, I'm in, I'm in on it. Why not? Yeah. I mean, go for it. Yeah, that's I wanted to see Tucker versus Woodruff. This is yeah, all it's that, a that setup would be for. Fun. Yeah, that would be fun.
1: Josh would be fun. There'd be some that were, were more fun than others. That's yeah,
0: no, but it's every also the account yeah the accountability. Sarah comes into the locker room, and goes, Coach, you've lost four in a row. Like you're killing <laughs> us here. We've, we're down one zero on every court.
1: That would add a dimension.
0: That, yeah. That's Exactly, but cool. then all You right. have those
1: coaches that never actually played or mm-hmm. particularly, and then they're in trouble because yeah. the fans are watching and they're saying, oh my gosh, I'm a 2-5 <laughs>
0: lady and I could have won that. Yeah, the and, other rule is if you're over 50 or have an AARP card, you can have your assistant play. So ah, guess, there you go. Okay, yeah, so you have the choice, right? Volunteer yeah, exactly.
1: assistant as well, you pick your best. Then I'd start picking, uh, you know, just high-level playing assistants. That's, that's what I'm cool. talking
0: about. Everyone's a winner here. Um, yeah, but. exactly. You know, the other thing, and again, it's about engaging the crowd. I think the 40 minutes of college tennis doubles are the best 40 minutes in all of tennis. Just it's a rat race, and, you know, it's Russian roulette. It's three matches. It's easy to follow. Every point matters. But then doubles ends, and, you know, the smart coaches give them pizza for the middle 10 minutes, but it's like first 30, 40 minutes of college tennis double uh, singles, it doesn't really mean anything. Like, yeah, it's a first set, but it's just a first set, and so... I don't know. Uh, do you feel that that loss of momentum, like in that ten-minute stretch, is that a concern you have from a you know from the fan perspective?
1: So much so that I wrote up uh, uh, It was sort of one of a few people leading the charge for a, a shootout format, mm-hmm. um, and I did a one pager, and kind of gotten around the country. Uh, the lull between doubles is just detrimental, and to be honest, in a in a in a match that's five-two, the doubles point didn't matter anyway. So it's kind of a dead match. So, and how much time do people have? I mean, they, they, they come in, they get their pizza, they sit down, you know, they've got to get through the doubles point 45 minutes an hour. I mean, if they're watching, you know, a basketball game, it's, that's the bulk of the game. Right. And then there's this lull and uh, then the players go out there and the competitive level isn't quite as high early on in singles match. And you kind of got to build to this crescendo. So you know, our, our whole push was this two hour. You know, get into the two hour window for foot, for uh, for TV. Uh-huh. I was working a lot with this with Roland and uh, Chris Young and and uh, get trying to get this this shootout format together. Uh, Kanyeko as well. And since we had all those Zoom calls, we were presenting that. We really built a big, a very good argument for um, trying something that would fit into a two hour window. Mm-hmm. And you know we went through the stats. We figured out a format that would ninety-two percent of the matches would fit in there. Um, and that, the shootout format would obviously be singles first, and you only play doubles. It's kind of like I, mean, I was watching yeah. the Alabama Auburn football game the other yeah. day, and you get these 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 overtimes, and then the, the in the, by the third overtime, I guess they're just basically lining up and yeah, trying two-point conversions. Like, yeah, like the soccer. You know the You know the shootouts yeah. in soccer. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. well, you're not playing soccer. You're just kind of shooting but those are the most exciting parts of the game. And Mm -hmm. um, so our idea was in some, in some manner um, in any of these matches that get to three, all you play a either a 10 or 15 point breaker for deciding Mm -hmm. all three doubles matches go out at once. And so on all three, mat three, all matches would be decided by the team. Mm -hmm. Um, So the intensity would be insane. And that, those people that stuck through singles, they get up there, they play singles. They have sort of two, you know, two climaxes in the match. You have that three, two. Oh my gosh, are they going to win? Yay. One or, oh my gosh, it's going to shoot out. And then all of a sudden all the players storm the court, all, that lull where we would have lost fans would just mm-hmm. keep all the fans there because this is going to be the super exciting piece. All the players are back out there screaming and yelling at each other and you you, you have the scoreboards one court's nine seven one's eight all yeah you know one is uh six two and you just the matches start peeling off Mm -hmm. i just think the excitement would be would be extraordinary and that these matches would climax then you wouldn't have that dead match you know Mm -hmm. the dead doubles match i mean i i just you know the, the, the the kick the kickback to it is you know oh it diminishes doubles that was one thing and I don't think so i think it makes doubles yeah. more important to be honest but or you won't play doubles points that often yeah. and i guess that's true um i, I guess that is true you will definitely cut out some matches and that would be one of the costs of it but uh you know for 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 the overall utility i just feel like it it, it would just generate a ton more excitement in a in a, in a smaller window of time.
0: No, I, I love it. And now I know the origins of the one pager. So this is, yeah. this is just information for me. This is what I was looking for. Uh, something I've been gravitated towards is either a one, four or a two, three format where you're playing, you know, one doubles, four singles, two doubles, mm-hmm. three singles, and everything starts simultaneously. So by the yeah, time the doubles is done, exactly. You get to set number two and you only have, you know, yeah, some matches might go three sets, but at that point you want to be engaged because everything comes down to that. Now, of course, at that point, you know, So many players are being typecast, singles, doubles, specialists, and they're not going to get the full developmental routine. So my solution to that is let's bring in substitutions. Let's play the 2-3 format. Once the players are done with doubles, you don't like the way your singles players are performing, hey, you're in. We're stepping in on court number two. It's time for me to sub you in. That way, again, it's a a little bit of everything and this is more fan experience. At what point are you compromising the tennis? Like That's certainly a question to ask. But I do think there's something to uninterrupted play and I I really like the shootout idea. Or just again, let's go back to how it used to be. Play doubles second. Like If it comes down to doubles, it becomes that much more important. Make them all worth one instead of a doubles point like make it matter that like just flip the format
1: yeah that and to be honest if we put double second and they were still six game no ad sets it's roughly the same thing right? exactly because I mean, it, it, it'll be quick so i mean you could do it that way as well i was just you know it just i like the idea of compressing the match into a tighter time frame and just the one two the numbers going up these sure. points real easy to follow mm-hmm. fans would go nuts um, but you would effectively get the same same thing if you do uh, doubles after and it's a six-game set. I mean, yeah. It, you know, and, and if it was – and only played if it's tied, right? Yeah. You know. You know the problem, nice I time.
0: suppose, is how many great pros in the doubles ranks have come from college tennis of late, both men's and women's side. It's just like countless players with doubles t- – uh, you know, college ties are having success. Do you lose that element if you de-emphasize doubles? That's something to consider. But – I don't think so. I, I definitely don't think so. I think I think internally the, du- the
1: doubles points would be the most fun for the players. Yes. Because you know they're not part of the match. Even if they lost at six, for example, mm-hmm. and they're feeling down, they get another opportunity, and the whole team all at once gets to decide the match if it's yes. tied. It doesn't come down to that one court. And I just think I think the players would be so much more jazzed to play the doubles point and be fired up about getting into those opportunities the other thing yeah. is you know if you in the individual season go ahead play play all your doubles you know in in the fall or in in josh's case in the spring i mean play play your doubles matches your eight game yeah. sets and and whatever and hone your skills but um it's a team seat, it's a team match at that time and hey let's go Let's have our soccer shootout. Let's have our Auburn, Alabama, you know, goal line stands. Let's go. Let's, let's make this happen. Make it exciting for everybody.
0: And yeah, While we're referencing it, let's just have Michigan beat Ohio State every year. Uh, that looks <laughs> for this Wolverine. Um, yeah. But, yeah, with all that said, last question for you. And, again, we're getting funky here. Mm-hmm. Coaching chicanery is half the fun for us hardcore fans. I want to see the lineup playing. Is JJ Tracy going to play six this year for the Ohio State Men? Maybe. Like, you know, Coach Tucker will try for it. And again, mm-hmm. just getting creative. It's going to happen no matter what. So, in order to, and again, you're, you're saying I, I prefer chaos whenever possible. Mm-hmm. Let's really emphasize home court advantage, lawless lineups. So, a way coach has to submit it before. Here's my top three, here's my bottom three. Home team gets to match up however they want. Are you in favor of that rule? Or are you absolutely not? Because we know lineup nonsense is going to happen no matter what. No. Okay. No.
1: <laughs> That's fair. I think, I I think over more. time, I think over time, information is going to get more and more refined with DTR, okay. and those rules are going to be a little bit tighter. And you're, and you're really lining up. You know, um, I mean. I think you're right that it would create more chaos. If you're interested in chaos, you, I, I hope you're calling Brad Dancer because he's has got some chaos. <laughs> Speed to, dial we, number two. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we uh, used to coach world team tennis. I used to coach St. Louis Aces. He's coached some team, Delaware or something. Mm-hmm. And we were coaching at the same time. And uh, we had those substitutions in there. Yeah. And that was uh, – I remember one time I pulled um, – Rick Leach and put Jared Palmer in, and man, they they wouldn't talk to me for days.
0: <laughs> that
1: definitely created a, a you know some excitement. Yeah.
0: No, I love it. Which is why the last thing I would introduce a timeout. You can call it, so a match is getting away from you, and or maybe whatever it may be, just four courts, it's not working. At one point during every match, a head coach like can say, "I'm calling our timeout." Everyone bring it in, three minutes to chat.
1: I definitely, I definitely like that. As long as it wasn't too long, uh, such that the fans that were sort of just deciding whether to stay or or, or leave, decided, ah, this is my opportunity to get the heck out of here. Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we have something set up for them. You know, whenever the timeout is called, we have free cotton candy. You know, something like that. Um, But I love that because I can't tell you how many times I've I've looked down six courts. I mean, that's a long way. And I'm like, this is not working. We've got so-and-so doing this. We've got so-and-so doing that. We've got this girl competing. I mean, that that would be fantastic. Let's, Let's run with that one.
0: Yeah, the little Caesar's hot and ready timeout. You're just firing yeah. out little stuff and it's all working. No, yeah. of all yeah, the rule changes there. I've asked coaches about, the timeout is the one I actually think might like come to fruition where I they like that. Yeah, yeah, so that's it's fascinating. And again, I've got plenty of other things I would love to pick your brains about, but I promised you 30. We've hit the hour mark, so coach, Perfect. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today and obviously for me, coming up as a fan, really 2009 onwards, South Carolina success has been a staple of my college tennis experience, and that's a testament to the work uh, you guys have done. So wishing your team success, health throughout the course of the season, and obviously, spot is always open for you on this show.
1: Thanks so much. Appreciate you talking with me. Yeah,
0: of Thanks course. Happy belated Thanksgiving and happy holidays to all of you. Okay, you
1: too. Yep. Take Thank care. You.